Barcelona are on the brink. Mo's got his mojo back and it's El Clasico coming our way this weekend. I'm Dan Burke. This is the One Football Podcast and I'm joined as always by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. How are we doing? Joel, you're looking very toasty there, I have to say, uh, which is is good for me because I'm bloody freezing here. I finally relented and put the uh, put the heating on today. Do you look? Do you feel as warm as you look? Yeah, I feel like it's now sort of a warm boy autumn. I'm not going for hot girl summer. It's now warm boy <laughs> autumn, and that's that's where I come alive. I'm a, I'm a sucker for a sweater. <laughs> Chunky knitwear. Of all the things I never thought I'd hear on the podcast, that was not one of them. At least I'm wearing clothes this time, so you know. Yeah, that makes a difference, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that makes a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, we've got plenty of uh, plenty of football to, to keep us warm this week and, and get stuck into. Uh, remember, before we do that, if you want to get your questions into us, you can do so by emailing us on podcast at onefootball.com. You can also tweet us if you if you so desire. My twat, Twitter, my so Twitter then, that was a bit inappropriate, <laughs> but maybe appropriate. <laughs> my my Twitter is uh, at fussballdan. Matt is Matt underscore Frolic and Joel is at Joel S. Murray. See, I'm even remembering them all now. That's how that's so often we've uh, we've said it at this point. I'm going to change mine just to throw a curveball in there. Oh yeah, well have you got any ideas about what you <laughs> can change I don't it think to? Anyone can spell it. Well, uh, everyone seems to have a name and then an initial with another name, so maybe just Matt A. Frolic. Ah, oh, still my surname's just terrible for SEO purposes. <laughs> I might go Matt Matt underscore Twatter. Matt underscore Twatter. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> That'll be from now. <laughs> <laughs> right, on that bombshell, let's get stuck into the uh, the Champions League. Uh, we'll start with uh, with Barcelona's 3-3 draw with Inter on Wednesday night, which leaves Barcelona in some pretty serious jeopardy uh, about their chances of uh, qualifying for the next round. It's looking very, very bleak for them. Uh, Joel, how much of a disaster do you think it would be if Barcelona went out for the second year running at the group stage and dropped into the, the Europa League? Massive financially. Um, I, th- I think everyone sort of knew in the summer that they were sort of remorching their future to sort of be competitive now. And, you know, when you saw them sort of take out the economic levers that they did to uh, to sort of build a, a competitive squad this summer, it was it was for instant success. It was for, for right now rather than for three, four years' time. And that was always going to be a gamble. And, and I think it came out saying in an article in The Athletic that the budget for this season was, was built the way it was on, on the back of Barcelona getting into the Champions League quarterfinals and getting the various you know funds from TV and the prize money that came from that, so that would, everything that they did over the summer would be okay if they managed to progress to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, which now looks almost impossible to do. Um, you know, obviously, you know when, when you drop down to Europa League, you still get a bit of prize money, you still get a bit of TV money, but it's considerably less than that you do get in the Champions League and. Now that's probably not going to be enough to make all the gambles worthwhile that they did in the summer, and you're now looking at you know the likes of Robert Lewandowski is going to be playing in the Europa League, <laughs> which is just bizarre to even imagine, and going to be almost like hilarious to see because it's just that that doesn't really make sense in, in my mind and probably in many others, and it's it's you know what they did in the summer was was always is contested by a lot of people, um, but it you know. The way that they started in La Liga sort of made sense and made it justifiable because they've done, done pretty well and they've had a good chance of winning the league. But in the Champions League, that was always going to be a gamble because they, you know, there's likelihood that they were going to be drawn with definitely one big team and they're always going to be likely to be drawn with another competitive team. And there's always a likelihood that they were going to get knocked out. And that looks like it's going to be the case now. And it's, they were maybe unlucky in the first game against Inter. Uh, probably should have had a penalty and probably should, you know, should have a goal ruled out. But when you gamble like this, this you know, you always talk about gambles and, and, and the fact that you, you might win gambles and the, the the upside of it. But there's always a downside to this mm. as well, and that's just as likely to happen as as the upside is. And now we're looking at that, and it, it also came out today in that article that uh, they owe 100 million euros over the next year for. The likes of Philip Coutinho, uh, Neto, um, Milan Pjanic, three players who aren't even at the club anymore, but he's still in transfer <laughs> fees for. It's just, it all points to a football club that has just been badly run for a long time. And this summer, they, they've put all their chips on something happening to be competitive and to make Barcelona competitive again and get into the quarterfinals and everyone can go home happy. And it does look like it's going to happen. And God knows what it's going to look like on the, on the, uh, on the flip side. Mm, yeah. It's, uh, it's been a, a- disorganised mess of a club for a while, hasn't it? It's sort of 
seemed like they were getting back onto the yeah. straight and narrow. You know, the, they are still top of La Liga. They've conceded one goal in the league all season. They're in pretty good form. They've been playing well. It's been looking good for them. It's been looking like Xavi's sort of steadied the ship a lot. Do you feel a bit sorry for Xavi though, Matt? I mean, it's looking like he's, uh, you know, potentially going to be the manager who has taken Barcelona out of the Champions League two years running. The two pretty big blots on his copybook. But other than that, he's he's done a pretty pretty good job. Has it just been a bit of a... Uh, just a bit of bad luck. It's all it's all kind of fallen into place for them, or not fallen into place this season in the Champions League. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Like Joel mentioned there, like the chance of being drawn against some good teams is you know quite high, and I think it actually is very unlucky for Pilsen to be drawn in that group because mm. you know you've got three brilliant teams in Bayern, into Barcelona, so one of them's going to have to fall out. It was pretty obvious from the draw that it would be between these two. It would be between Inter and Barcelona to see who was going to get that second place. And maybe Barcelona aren't as good as we thought. You mentioned one goal conceded in La Liga and that Xavi's turned things around and they finished the season really strongly. There was the the 4-0 victory away at Real Madrid last year. I think they have turned things around, but for Xavi, maybe the Champions League is, as we know, just a, of ridiculously high quality. Like just because he's managed to do some good things in La Liga doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate into Europe. I mean, there's a reason why so many top players, so many top clubs and so many top managers still haven't won the competition because it is difficult. Mm. So I don't think this should be as much of a surprise that they just haven't managed to win against really good teams. Um, yeah, certainly given recent Barcelona history, we're talking the last 10 to 15 years. Yes, of course, it's a shame and it's a, a bad thing for Xavi to have two years in a row. But I still don't think that from what they've been through and, you know, how the club's been in the last few years that it should be seen as the be all and end all. I mean, obviously it's really disappointing, but I'm 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 sure it's gonna be something that if Xavi gets, you know, the time to take Barcelona over for the next three or four years that you'll look back and be like, Oh yeah, that was <laughs> that was a bit of a slow start in Europe when they didn't quite make it through. But they'll, they'll eventually get there because you could be talking about something completely different if they were in another group. Mm. Yeah, I think Inter are good, basically. They, they are, so. yeah, yeah. And I think that was those two games yeah. against Inter were crucial for Barca, weren't they? They had to win at least one of them. They didn't win either of them, and that's uh, mm. you know you pay you pay the price for that. And uh, it's looking almost impossible for them to turn this around now to get out of this group. I think it would, due to the head-to-head record, it would require Inter to lose to Pilsen and at home and then lose to Bayern as well, which it seems highly unlikely that that's going to happen. So it's looking like the Europa yeah. League. Is there a silver lining here for Barca, Joel? Is it maybe a case of, well, we're out of the Champions League, we can focus on the league this season, maybe try and win the La Liga title and uh, and kick on from there. And, uh, you know, with the with the World Cup being as it is this year and the congested fixture list and all that, maybe being in the Champions League in the second half of the season, not being in the Champions League in the second half of the season might not be the worst thing in the world for them. I'm not sure they're going to see like that right now. Mm. Um, I, I think they're going to be devastating until after the World Cup and maybe it's going to take that break for... You know, Xavi to sort of realign the ambitions for the season. Um, you know, we, we say they can focus on the champion uh, on La Liga um, without being out of the Champions League, but they've still got Europa League fixtures to play. Mm. And you know, if I, I always think if you, you've dropped down into Europa League, you may as well go try and win it. Uh, Barcelona maybe didn't try and do that last year, and perhaps that was maybe a little silly because they had a, you know still on the strongest squads left, and they go out in a whimper against uh, Eintracht Frankfurt. I think you know, this year they should go and try and win it now. Like, okay, they're not going to get as much money from the Europa League as they will from the Champions League, but they might get a little bit if they go into the semi-finals and possibly even win it. And it's it's still also for Xavi a potential to, to win a trophy as well and get that first trophy over the line. And I think now that this has happened, and it's the worst case scenario in, in more ways than one. You know, they need to become a team that is you know the winning becomes their culture again. Uh, and that's you know looks like they they are on good form in La Liga and they're going to be in a title race in the season. But when it comes to, to La Liga as well, they're also playing one of the best Real Madrid teams in in recent years that won the Champions League and, and the league last season. And, and this year, every time we watch them play, they're just remarkable. And and I think like eventually down the line, and obviously we're going to see this someday how how far both teams have come. I I wouldn't say Barcelona are going to get. Uh, go win the league this year. I think Real Madrid will end up running away of it there. But so it's yeah, I, I think they should go all, all chips out on the Europa League to be honest, and uh, you know try and get into that semi final stage and, and see where it goes from there. And 
you know, sort of give Xavi a chance to get a trophy in the cabinet. Yeah, and of course there is a financial incentive for winning the Europa League, which uh, they might need as well. And winning the winning the title, the La Liga title, would help their uh, getting a decent pot and not end up in a group of death next season. Go on, Matt. I was ju- I was just about to say that you win the Europa League title, you go into pot one. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You, maybe the group's not looking so bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Somehow they'll still end up with Bayern Munich. Yeah. <laughs> that's just dead life now. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, when it is a group of death, this one, and I think when the draw was made, you probably would have said Bayern and, and Barca were the were the pretty heavy favourites to finish in those top two positions. If Inter do do that, Matt, I mean, you said a minute ago that you think they're a good side. Uh, is that a, a really big achievement from them? Would you say? Uh, Given how they haven't performed so well in the Champions League in recent years, yes. Uh, but I do think they've got a very, very good team. We've seen them compete towards the top of La Liga. Um, sorry, Syria. In, in the past couple of years, they've got some good experienced players. I think they are capable. They've been underperforming. Mm. So to say that, uh, you know, Inter Milan is a bit of a surprise to them to get out of the group. It's actually probably on par with where they are at the minute and where they should be. Because uh, I think they are a very, very good side. It's probably Inter Milan getting out of that group should be more normal than Barca not getting out of that mm. group. But it seems to be the other way around just because, I guess, of the names and everything behind it. Um, and like you said before, Inter, to to not get out of it right now would be an absolute catastrophe. It looks <laughs> like they are going to make it through, barring losing at home to Pills and getting smashed by Bayern or whatever the stipulations are. Um but yeah, I think they're a they're a really good team with some promising players. They've managed to hold on to quite a few as well, uh, which I really think might not necessarily, but could suggest that the players also believe in where Inter Milan are going. There was lots of talk about Bastoni leaving. He ended up staying about Skriniar leaving for the last two years. Skriniar's been linked with a move away. Didn't happen. Lautaro Martinez has been the subject of so much interest still at the club. Lukaku loved it that much. He decided to come back. Maybe he didn't like Chelsea that much, so you know anything was better than <laughs> Chelsea. Lukaku's not been playing. But, you know, either, uh, he? Been been him, yeah. another one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's a lot. There's a lot of players who obviously want to stick around at Inter Milan, and it obviously shows that the club feel like they're going places. And maybe yeah, it's not such a a shock that they actually managed to make it through. And I thought last night they look they look very good in stages. So mm. um, so yeah, I was really impressed. That- I did think it was quite funny watching uh, uh Inzaghi get sent off. Oh yeah. <laughs> what was that right, for? Yeah, like just, get a booking and yeah. then just being like he got he got booked for running outside of his technical area. Right. And then he did something like just blow the fucking whistle. Yeah, okay, <laughs> right, right, like, right. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> and then got I saw him, I saw him, So I, I was watching it and I was like, what is going on? Likes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just it was that like last minute, he just he he couldn't hack it. Like fair enough if the fans are nail, you know, biting their nails and they can't bear to look. But he's got to keep his cool. Yeah. Inter had a great chance to win it at the end as well, didn't they? Gosens missed a missed a chance to to snatch all three oh points, my which God. would have which would have put Barcelona com- completely out. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Inter. Mm. I, I can see them being a very uh, a very tricky uh, last sixteen tie for somebody. Uh, I don't know who, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, still two games to go of the uh, Champions League group stage, of course. Uh, Liverpool, mm. they're back on track, Joel. You must have been fearing the worst when they went 1-0 down uh, at Ibrox on uh, a Wednesday night. Uh, they came roaring back, though, to win 7-1. What uh, what was the big difference for Liverpool here, do you think? Well, the first half wasn't very different at all. It was much mm. of the same of, of this season, where the, the the midfield, well, the whole team was too open, but the midfield were, were left wandering. Um uh, Jürgen Klopp started a, a sort of double pivot of Jordan Henderson and Fabinho yesterday and neither of them seemed to stay in midfield at all for at any stage in our first half and I was watching that and you know banging the desk and banging <laughs> my head against the wall thinking it's just you know this is just our season now and it, you know we've got massive problems and then it's funny how things change over 45 minutes isn't it like I mean, just before I answer the question properly, it's funny how your mood changes by football because, like, I got got the train home from work last night after the results, and someone stepped, a, a fella stepped on uh, my foot, and I was like, couldn't be nicer to him. I was like, oh, I'll help you there, mate. You know, he sort of tripped over, help you know. If that happened three days earlier, I probably would have ripped the guy's head off. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's funny how a win changes your mood. But um, it's I, I think what changed the second half of Liverpool is I. I, do, I would love to know what Klopp said to the players at, at, at half time because they came out and and believed in this. It looked like they believed in themselves more. They, they moved sort of 10, 15 yards higher up the pitch. Um, 
threw more tackles in and won the ball back a lot quicker and a lot higher than they have been usually. Not not giving Rangers a chance to get out really. And they've not done that, I think, all season, apart from maybe the one-off Bournemouth game where they win 9-0. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's more the outlier than anything else. Like, it looked more like the old Liverpool. And, and I, I just wonder whether Klopp said to them, like, these opponents said they're nowhere near your standard. He needs to stop believing Lads, yourself. it's Rangers. They, they don't deserve to get near you. Lads, it's Rangers. And it was nice to see because, like, it's been hard watching them the sort of uh, this season, obviously with the results, but also because you know, these players are also good. They're not becoming a, a, a bad team overnight, and a lot of it could be down to confidence. And I do wonder how much of that has an effect in, in, in football because the, the second half they looked more like last season, where and and you know you know you see sort of making more dangerous passes and Harvey Elliott and Fabio Carvalho, you know, two young lads struggled first half and the second half. You know they were, they were beating players at ease and, and making incisive passes, and, and it was really nice to see. And and, and yeah, it's um, the mood suddenly feels a lot different. Uh, but it's just a shame we've got the fixture come up <laughs> that we have on Sunday, which I'm sure we'll get. To. Have you uh, decided whether you're going to come to my house and watch that game yet, or are you uh, you still going to chicken out? Absolutely not. No, no chance. <laughs> no. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't stand on his pen. shoe. Don't stand on his shoe after that. Yeah. <laughs> don't want to stand on Joel's shoe. It's uh, a lesson we've all learned today, yeah. Unless Liverpool have just won, in which case, stand away. He doesn't care, then. (laughs) Stand away, yeah. Kick me. (laughs) Uh, Mo Salah, he uh, has had a very quiet season so far. Been a lot of talk about his position for Liverpool, uh, whether he's played a bit too too far out wide on the right. He scored a hat-trick here, the quickest ever Champions League hat-trick, if I'm not mistaken, six minutes and something. I can't remember the Mm. exact figure off the top of my head now, but... Yeah, twelve seconds. Six minutes and twelve seconds. There we go. Yeah, is he? Uh, does he look back in business to you, Matt? And, and is that uh, is that going to be key for Liverpool to salvage their season, getting him firing again? Uh, yeah, he does look definitely back. Uh, certainly in the groove. It looked for me when I was watching the Salah finishes. It looked sort of very instinctive. It was kind of like the most Salah of old. You know, just getting the shots off, getting in the right positions, running at defenders, and it was all very natural and fluid. It didn't look. Uh, under a little bit of pressure, like the whole Liverpool team has looked recently. Um, yeah, it just sort of looked really normal, I guess is the word. It's not normal to score a hat-trick in six minutes <laughs> in the Champions League, but it just kind of looked normal the way that Salah took everything in his stride. And like you said, once that confidence started flowing, uh, I think it was for the hat-trick goal, Jota took this brilliant first touchdown mm. um, and sprayed it out wide. And uh, there's a part of it that is Rangers' fault as well, kind of collapsing towards the end of the game. But everything just felt a lot more confident, fluid. The passing was slicker. And yeah, Salah was just back being like, all right, I'm at the edge of the box now. I'm just going to put it in the back of the net. Like it seemed it seemed very normal, despite the fact that, yeah, putting seven, putting seven away against a team in the Champions League isn't normal. But Salah certainly looks... It, I would have said there would be less to worry about from Mo Salah for Manchester City at the weekend but now after seeing that maybe there's a little bit more of a all right okay he's he's coming back into a bit of form we should pay a little bit more attention not that they were going to write him (laughs) off but you know what I mean yeah was there a bit of a a positional shift for him here Joel because on paper the formation kind of looks like a 4-4-2 and obviously Salah started on the bench came off the bench does that suit him a bit better are they getting him a bit bit closer to the goal do you think well, Klopp said afterwards that he was he was more narrow and more inverted um, when he came on last night, which he, which he hasn't been all season, like you mentioned before, Dan. He's he's been playing basically as a, on the on the touchline mm-hmm. as a winger um, most of the season. Obviously, the last couple of games they've gone more four four two or four two three one, and he's he's played as the in that four uh, as as the right hand side winger, which is just mad. Like you know, obviously Jurgen Klopp and and his coaching staff know have forgotten more more about football than I will ever <laughs> know, and. But it, it 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 just seems mad that like you got a lad who's won three golden boots in the Premier League and you've moved them fifteen <laughs> twenty yards further away from goal like that just seems a bit bizarre. But last night it looked like a lot more different. Like obviously, I think you know at that stage just the subs are made sort of seventy minutes in. I'm not quite sure what formation you're playing and the game's sort of gone. It's sort of like a bit of a, a bit of a mess. It did it did look more like a sort of. Four two three one. And he was playing as a right inside forward last night, and that I think just works better for him. And I, and I think, hopefully, Percy speaking as a Liverpool supporter here going forward, that site has maybe taught Klopp a lesson that 
you know, just just get him closer to the goal, back to what he's doing last season, and it works with everyone involved. And, and I think that looked like the case when he came on last night for sure. Yeah. What about Firmino as well? He uh, he got a couple of goals here. I think he's got eight goals this season now. It's uh, it almost looked like his his Liverpool career was kind of petering out a bit, but it seems to be uh, back on track now. Is it a bit, a bit of a renaissance for him? Do you think? Yeah, it's a bit mad with uh, Firmino. Like his contract's up at the end of the season. I do wonder whether he's maybe playing for one a new one now. Um, but when Roberto Firmino was at his best and Liverpool were at their best, Firmino sort of didn't score goals, but his role in the team was to knit the attack in the midfield together and, and complement the two attackers. And now when Liverpool are at their best, he's somehow turned into the renaissance of Ronaldo. Sorry, um, the, the Ronaldo 9, not Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and he suddenly knows how to put the ball on the back of the net and he's become a really natural... And we've lost him. <laughs> Fuck it, that was a blaze of glory. <laughs> Joel has been eaten by the internet. <laughs> yeah. He, he's disappeared. We'll try and get him back. He was saying something about Firmino being good. He was, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, well, I'll put that question to you then, Matt. Do you think he's uh, he's looking like a bit sharper nowadays, <laughs> Firmino, that he, uh, you know, and, and, and getting involved in the goals and all that kind of thing? Is that good for Liverpool? Yeah. Yeah, maybe... I, I seem to think that maybe there's a little bit of the, oh, Nunes has come in and, you know, Jota's looking back on form and maybe there's a little bit of competition which has really brought out the best in him. Or maybe it's kind of just the way it goes in football that Korea's ebb and flow and, you know, there are highs, there are lows. And Firmino seems to be in a really good patch of form. But I think it's it would be tough to deny him a starting spot uh, if Klopp does shift to a sort of 4-2-3-1 uh, as, as the main central striker. Um, of course, there's the temptation to play Darwin Nunes after such a big, such a big money signing. But yeah, Firmino looks on crazy form at the minute. Maybe, obviously, it's without Mane. They go back to the kind of Liverpool they were a few years ago when that that Mane Firmino Salah front three was tearing up the division. And maybe it goes a little bit more simplified than that. I just took your answer, Joel, because we lost you for a second. Yeah, I think you, were, you went all transformer on you, us. You were eaten by the internet, I think, there, Joel, for, for a brief moment. But <laughs> we've all been there. <laughs> But he's back. <laughs> he's back. He's back with a vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's enough about Liverpool. Let's talk about Juventus, yeah. uh, who were beaten 2-0 by Maccabi Haifa uh, on Tuesday night. The the shock result of the week, that one. Uh, are you a bit surprised that Allegri hasn't been sacked yet, Matt? If anything, they seem to have backed him even more. I'm not really sure what the, uh, what the point of all that is. Yeah, I, I, it seems like a bit of an odd... I, I get it because you want to maybe put the rumours to bed, but... If Juventus keep losing, like people are still going to be talking about Allegri being sacked. Like we're not just going to go, oh, well, Juve board said they they like him, so we'll just stop talking about it. Like there's still there's still major questions to be asked, and I'm sure that internally they will be thinking about things. The latest uh, a few weeks ago certainly was that they gave him a four year deal uh, last summer. They gave him until 2025, and to sack him now would be expensive. And the one the one reason I think it seems a little bit odd for me is because. Whenever a team thinks about sacking a manager, the, the answer is always, yeah, but who else is out there? Mm. There's no one else, this, that, and the other. I actually mm. don't think that's the case. I think Zidane may be waiting until Deschamps leaves France after the World Cup. Uh, I know that Pochettino is available. Mm. Um, apparently, they can... Yeah, Thomas yeah. Tuchel, definitely huge answer. Um there was talk about them kind of trying to tempt Conte. I'm not quite sure how that one's going to go. But like, there's options out there as well. And these guys are going to be on big wages for sure. But it's not like they're going to go and have to do a Chelsea, for example, and pay to get Potter out of Brighton or pay to get a top manager out of their club. There's three names there that are already available. Um, so I find it a bit odd that maybe there's not even talk about Allegri leaving. And they but seem the so, issue is that the, so hard they'll have to pay to... Pay get Allegri out of his contract and I think the reports and it's yeah. said like the minimum that's going to cost is 15 million and there's been quotes of it being close to 30 million that they're going to have to pay to get him out. Oh, okay. Well, that's which, a serious yeah, amount which, of money then. Which, because <laughs> I think he, he probably would have went before last night, eh, sorry, before the results on Tuesday night. Maybe maybe after Milan results on Saturday mm. because they've looked like a team that's been dead on the wall. So for, you know, since the start of the season, to be honest with you, like it's it's not worked all season. Whatever he's tried to do, and they lose one nil to Monza, um, Silvio Berlusconi's Monza, um, before the last international break, and I think that looked like the writing was on the wall from then. And it's 
yeah, I, I, it, it does sound like they're just trying to financially, they, they can't make that move and they probably want to make that move. And it's, yeah, it's, it doesn't look good because it, it, this isn't working for anyone right now. And I think the best move for all parties would be to, to let him go. I don't know how long yeah. it can go on. Like, what's the cutoff point? Because obviously you're losing up, maybe up to 30 million by sacking Allegri, but you're losing a lot more by falling out of the Champions League and potentially not making the top exactly. four in Serie A. Mm. So I think there has to be a cutoff point at, at some stage if it keeps going on like this, which and unfortunately for Juventus fans, it does look like it's kind of continuing. They look so bereft of any ideas a- against Haifa. Um, and yeah, it really... It wasn't such an impressive performance. It wasn't one of those where you lose and you pick yourself up again. Like you said, there was the Monza defeat, uh, the defeat to AC Milan last weekend. They get absolutely nowhere near um, Milan that day. But... Yeah, <laughs> they're just. It's not looking positive from a performance, you know, uh, point either. As well as obviously the results being less than satisfactory. Has mm. he tarnished his legacy at Juve? Do you think, or is he in the process of tarnishing it? You know. His, his prior uh, tenure there, he won five titles in a row. Uh, they were on a run of nine titles in a row. They haven't haven't won one since. Uh, haven't really got close. And he's come back in and is playing negative football and not getting results. Do you think that's tarnished his legacy, Joel? He's in the process of doing so, isn't he? And I, I, I do wonder how it's going to look come the end of this reign. Um, and I think the thing is, that's probably what's keep as well as to the financial side of things, it's probably why they stick with him a little bit because I think the people in charge of Juventus do back him to, to or did used to back him to turn it around. And I think after the Monza defeat, where it looked like they, you know, they, they were going to sack him, um, a lot of the news coming out was we've had a bad run under Allegri before, but he we gave him the time to turn it around, and he turned it around, and before he was going to do it again, and so he's got the credit in the bank because of his previous reign, but. Um, I, I think if it, the way this carries on, I mean, they're probably going to get knocked out of the Champions League. And, you know, he's probably, if he does get sacked mid season, let's say he gets sacked, um, he leaves just um, when the World Cup break happens, they're going to be a mid table. Football fans are fickle. They're going to remember that more than the, the good mm. times because it's more recent. And it probably shouldn't be like that. But at least for, for the next couple of years, that's what he's going to be remembered by rather than. Before, than what he did before but it's the message to everyone that you should, probably should never go back like I, I'm struggling to remember <laughs> too many examples where a manager's gone back for a second the time at a football club and, and it's worked and uh, you know maybe the first part of Mourinho's second Chelsea when he wins the league doesn't he but then that doesn't end well it's uh, yeah never go back apply that to football managers if players going back to former clubs and ex-girlfriends boyfriends whoever ex-partners <laughs> <laughs> didn't Dalglish come back and win the League Cup in 2012 I'll tell you that that didn't work out very well <laughs> <laughs> but you've come back to this podcast Joel and, and you're, it's working out pretty well so far yeah. so you know it doesn't apply to every aspect of life just football maybe but I didn't know you dumped me from the podcast. <laughs> yeah, about this now. No, I, I, I just mean when, when you when you took when you took a brief uh, a brief pause a few minutes ago when uh, you went on C three PO on us, but never mind. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> still am. Uh, a few other few other Champions few other Champions League bits to get through now. Uh, Spurs, Matt, they uh, they got the job done against Eintracht Frankfurt at the end. A, a five goal thriller, you might say. Kane and Son chipping in with the goals, but any concerns about Spurs' recent form for you? Um, the recent performances, yes. The yeah. recent results, not actually so bad. You know, I mean, we've talked enough about Arsenal and losing away at Arsenal. Um, the result against Frankfurt in the away leg wasn't ideal, but it's a point nonetheless. And then you've got the defeat against um, Lisbon in, in the other Champions League match. The results, pretty pretty good. They've won every single home game. But it's the performances and of certain areas in the pitch that don't seem to be being addressed um, that is quite an issue. You know, Emerson Royale continues to play the majority of games. Is quite good in one-on-one situations, but doesn't offer much going forward. And, you know, you're wondering, oh, Jed Spence is there. You know, maybe he's worth a go to, to mm. turn things around. Who who knows, really? Um, there just seems to be, I think, for me, Spurs aren't necessarily in, uh, don't necessarily have the strongest squad beyond the starting 11. I think we saw that last night towards the end of the game where Conte thinks that 3-1 against 10 men, they're coasting, brings quite a few players on. 
and they're not really up to the standard that the rest are at. Davinson Sanchez is definitely no, you know, Romero replacement. Uh, Lucas Moore and Brian Hill are nowhere near Son Kane, uh, Kulazewski and Richarlison. Uh, Basuma doesn't appear to have settled in just yet behind Bentancourt and, uh, and Hoybier, who, who was brilliant last night. So there seems to be quite a few issues in the team that nothing really can change outside the starting 11. Uh, and, and it's led to some, I think, poor performances because there are obvious weak links uh, within the team. Yeah, yeah. What, what's the, uh, hasn't Conte expressed a bit of kind of scepticism about Spence or suggested that he's not quite ready yet? Is, what's the situation there, do you think? I, I, he has, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> but, you, you know, the, in the press and in the media, a lot of managers are reluctant to say what's really going on. And I'm sure, you know, that well, we've had it before. Remember when Danny Rose was speaking out against the club and going, all, <laughs> you know, unveiling all the truths that happened. Uh, it's the same sort of thing where you're never going to actually know what's going on behind the scenes. He said the same thing about Basuma not really being up to it um, and not really understanding how Conte plays. Yet Basuma spent, was it four years in the Premier League? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but prior to that, in, in, a, in a pretty good Brighton side. So he's, he, that's very different case than Jed Spence, who's never played in the Premier League. So I think there's different things that Conte wants to see on the training pitch before he trusts mm. them in a match. And for whatever reason, he's just not seeing it. You know, he's he's not seeing it in Spence and he does see it in other players. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe we should watch a training session and see what Emerson Royale does differently <laughs> to Spence so that he starts every game and Spence can't even get a look in. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, and then he also says that he doesn't want to lose, which is why he doesn't play Matt Doherty. I don't know what Doherty's done to deserve that kind <laughs> of a yeah. But you know, it's yeah, it's all again. What's being said and what goes on behind closed doors are two often very, very different things. Indeed, indeed. Uh, now, Alex Mott made a very, very big uh, claim, uh, hot take, you might say, on the the podcast that we did on Tuesday, or maybe it's not such a hot take. What do you think, Joel? Are, Nap- are Napoli the best team in Europe at the moment? I think uh, Motti might have got that correct, you know. Yeah, I think he's um, justified nice. to say such uh, say, say such strong words for sure. Like, I mean, it, it makes me feel better what they've done since beating us four one. It makes me feel a lot better about that result because <laughs> they've been incredible. Like, I mean, they're just they're absolutely beautiful to watch. And last night, you know, they go to know very early on. And you sort of see on Twitter, everyone's going mad about it. And you've got people who weren't watching the game suddenly turn on to be able to see this sort of Napoli mm. team. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's sort of the noise around them at the moment and the sort of reviews they're getting remind me of when the Ajax team got to the Champions League semi-final before getting knocked out by by Spurs. Um, they sort of they looked that attractive to watch. And um, they've got you know some players who've just seen Anguissa in the form that he's in, which... It's just remarkable to me because obviously yeah. watched him at Fulham um, in the Premier League, and he was nowhere near the play that he's showing at the moment. And Zielinski's been there for a couple of years; is suddenly turned into one of the best midfielders in Europe at the moment. And then you've got the the Georgian lad on the wing who um, who I did learn <laughs> how to say his name. name. Yeah, that's, his, that's his official name. King King Gladys. I was practicing all morning. Well, I, I, on, I was watching your video. <laughs> yeah, come on, mate. I, yeah, it's Karatskalia. Cavaradonna. I think I think it's it. Or yeah, Cavaradonna is such a it's brilliant. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, he comes from pretty much nowhere in the summer. He signed him from um it was a Georgian side, Dinamo at the name's escaped me, sorry, but it's getting Dinamo Tbilisi, is it? No, no, was, no, 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 it yeah. wasn't them. I think it was B- B- yeah, Baluti, Batuli. Yeah, they were top this anyway. That's what we're trying to do. So the Georgian nation yeah. right now, anyway. But um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. So it's the only Georgian team I know. So <laughs> I was hoping you'd just go, yeah, it's them. And I'd look like no, I knew no. what I was talking about, but no. <laughs> that was it. Dinamo Batumi. Ah, there we go. Like, yeah, there we go. Um, I mean, that, we're disgraced, aren't we? But um, yeah, he comes from nowhere in the summer. <laughs> And then you look at him this season. I mean, he's got seven assists, seven goals in all competitions already. He's he reminds me a bit, not in a, not in a playing style, but a bit of Thomas Muller in the way that he's built and the way he looks. That he shouldn't be a footballer. I mean, he's a, he's a, a winger <laughs> who is over six foot. He looks lanky as as anything, and he doesn't look like he should be able to move across the, the field that he does. But he's just. He's incredible. He's just—he's being players at will. He's got a hell of a shot on him, and uh, yeah, he's a bit like when you see 
sort of like the gorilla from the Phil Collins video doing drums. Like he, he should be that person. That gorilla <laughs> should not be there, but it works. So that's, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. I saw. I, I saw a great tweet earlier that someone said, uh, Kravitzkalia looks like a superhero. Um, and in his story, he's been bitten by a radioactive Adam Lalana. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, works. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, works, works. Yeah. yeah. Looking forward to Juventus signing him next summer and probably ruining him. That tends to be what happens with these uh, oh, good yeah, Serie players, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, elsewhere in the Champions League, Club Bruges, they're, they're through to the next round for the first time in their history with two games to spare. Um, they've done it with four clean sheets. Is this redemption for Simon Mignolet at last, Joel? Have you finally forgiven him for his <laughs> awful performances in the Liverpool shirt? Absolutely not, no. <laughs> it's, it's the only goalkeeper I've seen who was, he played um, at Burnley at Turf Moor and he got a pass back and he's sort of waiting on the goal line for it, and he ends up delaying the kick away that much that the, the ball ends up going out for a corner. And it's just like, <laughs> are you a goalkeeper, really? I mean, fair play to him. Like, he's, he's been, every game I've watched of Bruges this year, he's been like phenomenal for them. He's, he's now got the record of, uh, what was it, you know, in terms of um, the most saves, I think, in the, in the Champions League group stage of Alcacidon so far. And he saves one last night from oh, Morata, from under the cross, pretty much under the crossbar, where he just hits his head, and I've never doubted the size <laughs> of, of, the, of the guy's head. Like it's, it is massive. So fair play to manage to use that to keep a goal out. But I mean, Bruce's been phenomenal. You, you look at you get drawn in that group at the start of September. You're thinking they're going to be the whipping boys of that group. They're going, you know, they're not even going to get into Europa League. They're finishing fourth, and they, you know, they've mm. uh, achieved qualification with two games to spare. Um, like you said, Rob Cassini, the goal first Belgian side since Ghent in 2016 to, to get this far. And it's, it is remarkable. And they uh, are managed by a former Stoke City legend in Carl Hopkins, which is one for the kids. Like, this could be a 14 year old listener. Oh, that's going, right. Yeah. Yeah. Carl Hopkins. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's probably going to be 30 year olds listening to it going, who the fuck is Carl Hopkins, to be fair. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what? <laughs> one for the real heads, that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think that they're another one who's going to be a very tricky uh, last sixteen opponent for somebody, um, and we'll be uh, yeah looking forward to seeing what they can do. They've got they've got Man City written all over them. They have. I think we said that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I know what you mean. There, we'll probably probably beat them. Eight, oh, actually, eight no, 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 because if City finish top and they do, then oh yeah, true. They're not yeah. going to be drawn against mm. each other, are they? If yeah. they're both, they're I'll both take good them. winners. Nice <laughs> <laughs> little trip to Bruges in February. That'd be nice. <laughs> That would be nice, actually, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we talked a bit on Tuesday's podcast about Chelsea's uh, trip to San Siro being a tricky one for them, uh, despite them beating Milan last week. And uh, they beat Milan again, 2 0 this time. Uh, Fikayo Tomori had another shocker against his old club, getting sent off after 18 minutes. Uh, two games in a row where he's, he's performed badly against his old club. Matt, is, was he trying a bit too hard there, do you think? To impress, uh, maybe that's a bit cliche. Yeah, <laughs> to to think, oh, he's trying too hard against his former club. He might have been. He might well have been. Uh, it just unfortunately gets caught the wrong side of um, of Sterling, I believe it is. Um, yeah, it it's one of those things where, it's, yeah, like we said, it, it's easy to point that finger. But I just think Chelsea really looked on it anyway. And if Tomori had stayed on the pitch, they probably still would have ended up losing. I think they looked so sharp, Chelsea. Uh, really impressive. And it's now, I think, a draw and four wins under Potter. Um, only conceding one goal in those four wins, yeah. um, which which was away at Crystal Palace. And the, and the others have been to nil. So I, I, there's there's been massive improvement for them. Uh, yeah, maybe Tomori will look back on that. It's still a young guy. Maybe it's a bit of a learning curve. And once he becomes an AC Milan legend, he'll go, oh, yeah, I actually played for Chelsea once. <laughs> and then he won't think about it when he comes across them again instead of being absolutely hell-bent yeah. on some sort of revenge. When he's left in the yeah, World not, Cup not in, in December, then uh, he won't be, he won't be going to <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. And Chelsea <laughs> will claim him as their own. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, moving away from the Champions League now, some other uh, interesting stories that have been knocking around this week. Uh, well, the big one is Kylian Mbappe, who apparently is trying to get out of PSG now. He's t- talking about the story today is that he's looking to find a way out of his contract. Uh, either way, he might end up leaving uh, for a fee in the summer if, if that's not the case. Uh, it's all gone sour pretty quickly after PSG triumphantly managing to keep hold of him in the summer. 
And uh, there's also some talk about Messi going back to, to Barcelona, uh, which would which would also leave PSG in a bit of a difficult position. Is this project of theirs just a bit doomed? Do you think, Joel, is it just never really going to sort of work in the way that similar projects around the world, I'm thinking Manchester City, have, have, have gone really smoothly and this PSG one just seems very chaotic? It's it, It's always had the sense it's a bit chaotic, isn't it? It never seems to be... It never seems to be calm. There never seems to be sort of like with, with Man City. Obviously, they have got the, the resources that they have, but it always seems like there's been a plan. Like it's, it's always been built for Pep Guardiola to come in. That was a long term aim, um, and they, mm. obviously, the long term aim is to win the Champions League. And Guardiola's going to get them. You know, that was a plan. Guardiola comes into win the Champions League, and frankly, they've never done that yet. But let's see. Come up with, with PSG, <laughs> their plan, Ooh. their plan, obviously, long term, is to win the Champions League, but. The fingers of that, you never see how they actually get there. You don't see what the plan is to get there. It's it's a it's um it's a new manager every two three seasons, maybe even less than that. Um, but it's always you know let's let's get the close the big name in or something. Um, you know who's who's the hottest the flavor of the month in the, in the football at the moment. So let's get him in and he'll sort us out and we'll throw the big money at the big players and, and that'll get us there. And that that's surely going to work for us and. And it, and it hasn't seen, obviously, to get to the final in the COVID season and under Thomas Tuchel, and that's as close as they've got to winning it. Um, but, you know, other than that, I don't think they've ever looked like even close to winning it. Funny enough, at the start of the season, I looked at them and looked at the team and thought, okay, this year, this could be it, and that, that could still prove to be the case. Obviously, they probably are going to get into knockout rounds and you, you go from there, but... It, it this this week has sort of uh, hit me back, struck me by surprise a little bit because I actually thought this year, same what I've just said, this year looked like they're making a lot of sensible moves. They get Christophe Gaultier in, mm. who wasn't necessarily the flavor of the month, but looked like a sensible sign of someone who's won league and um, <clears throat> and has you know, managed to build teams that look quite structured and and um, organised and, and you know they've got a bit of a plan there and they make sensible signings they don't necessarily go get the big best players and spend the biggest money you know the likes of Fabian Ruiz Vitinha they look like sensible signings to me and they sort of okay we're going to build this team and we're going to leave Messi Neymar and Bappi up front but the team's going to work behind it and it's worked in, in league games to an extent and in the Champions League they looked alright although become a bit unstuck against Benfica and, you know both games but now it's sort of like the noise has come out. These are all reports, by the way. Nothing's been confirmed about Mbappe, uh, but there's also reports about um, Luis Campos, who's the football advisor, leaving as well. And obviously, the stuff about Messi. And it all kind of just sort of strikes of nothing's ever going to work there because they've just got too many egos there. <laughs> and it's almost too yeah. many uh, cooks to spoil on the broth kind of thing. And it's. Nothing really ever kind of makes sense. You're never looking at them thinking this is going to be a dominant force of football for the next 10 years because it's all we're throwing money and throwing the best players there and let's just see how it works. It's never, there's never quite a structured plan like there's been at Man City. Um, and if you believe some of uh, it, seems to be the worst kept secret in football, but there's a lot of belief that, and again, this is not confirmed that the, the, the people who own PSG are going to take back a lot of their money and, and maybe even pull out of the club once the World Cup is done in Qatar um, and the, the project's going to be done from there. And God knows what that leaves. But again, that's not to be confirmed. But yeah, it all just seems like it's always been a bit of a mess of PSG. And this year I thought it was going to be all right, but it seems like it's a bigger mess than ever. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if it's a bit of a case of, you know, I mean, we've talked about PSG a bit this season, talked about how everything seemed rosy in the garden for them again and everything was working well and it seemed like everyone was focused on the task at hand and it only takes, uh, you know, a few weeks for that to unravel and, uh, you know, there's there's a story doing the rounds yesterday from uh, from media part in France that PSG have been, someone at the club has been setting up fake Twitter accounts to try and discredit uh, certain individuals, including Mbappe. PSG have strongly denied that that report, but uh, it's uh, it's kind of almost like a bit of a no smoke without fire kind of thing with, with stories like that, you, you think sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I wonder the, the lack of sort of satisfaction they get from winning their domestic title means that like, there's just so much pressure on them to win that Champions League all the time. And if it doesn't happen, it's things, things unravel pretty quickly. And do you think, Matt, that, that uh, Mbappe is in danger of developing a bit of a reputation as a bit of a sort of enfant terrible? Like he's a bit very, you know, egotistical. And, you know, the fact that PSG moved mountains to make him stay at the club in the summer and now he wants to leave. I read earlier that he's thinking about snubbing the Ballon d'Or on Monday because he's not going to win it. And... Uh, 
Yeah, I wonder if it, his reputation has taken a bit of a hit in recent recent months. Yeah, I think so. And it, it then leads to the problem that which club is going to pay for him mm-hmm. in terms of what PSG want? Which club's going to pay his wages in terms of what he wants per week? And he's almost replicated PSG's movements within the transfer market. PSG have priced themselves out of ever uh, being in a sensible transfer because they overpaid so much for Neymar. Mm. And now they can't shift Neymar because they're never going to make their money back. And it's the same thing with Mbappe. He's got so much... Uh, reportedly 1 million euros per week. I'm not actually sure he's on that kind of deal. <laughs> Maybe it's towards 800,000. I know that he's the highest paid only footballer in the world now, according to that recent Forbes list. How does he get by on 800 grand Yeah, only. Disgusting. <laughs> yeah, bloody hell. Um, you know, the, the highest paid footballer in the world now, and he's kind of prized himself out of a move with where he's at. And also his ego doesn't really look like he's a good fit. And I think you hear a lot of managers talk about it more and more these days about cultures, about managers being able to deal with egos and Carlo Ancelotti being great at it. Um, Maurizio Pochettino, certainly at Spurs, spoke a lot about having the right players for the club, changing the culture, this, that, and the other. The the word culture is a big buzzword around Manchester United as well. Um, He just doesn't seem like the right kind of person. Forget the football skills, because we can see he's a talented footballer. He doesn't seem like the right kind of person that a a lot of teams would like to have you know, kind of in and around the training ground on the day-to-day basis and also on the pitch. Um, so, yeah, it's really not... I was thinking about this the other day. At what point does he ascend beyond football, <laughs> right? And you, you just look at this guy and you see the attitude, you see the money and you kind of forget, oh, actually, he's a football player as well. Yeah, He wants to be involved in the competition. You know, imagine if someone said, oh, Killian, I'm going to pay you 10 million a week and you're just going to play football with me in the garden. <laughs> and you're not actually going to be playing in the Champions League. You're going to guy. You know what I mean? As ridiculous yeah, yeah, as that yeah. sounds. Like, at what point does he say, I just want to be playing in the Champions League. Mm. I want to be playing football. I don't need this. I don't need to have 800,000 euros a week. I don't need to be the centre of the project at PSG. I don't need to be calling the shots. I would... Uh, without risking sounding like an old man, like, just forget all that and focus on the football, Killian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, I, it makes me sound very soon SS. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a shame because the, when he when he broke through at Monaco, he was such an exciting talent. And, and since he's gone to PSG, it's just been a bit of a circus around him. And I don't think it's entirely his fault. You know, I don't think you can really control the media around you so much, but I'm sure he could have maybe made some moves that would have, uh, you know, made people think that he was a, a bit less of a dickhead than he seems to be coming across at the moment. So, I mean, you, you, his PR team have got a job yeah, on Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You still have him, have him at Liverpool, though, wouldn't you, Joel? Yeah, if he could play centre mid, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or centre half, that might be someone uh, where you need his place. <laughs> right, we've had a couple of uh, questions in from listeners. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, if you want to get a question in towards the email address, is podcast at onefootball.com. That's probably the best way to do it, but you can tweet us if you want. Uh, first up, the question is from Will Shaw, who describes himself as the podcast number one fan. Now, if you have a claim to being the number one fan, you think you can compete with Will on that front, you know, send us some cakes or just, just some money or something like that. You know, we, we are open to bribes, but... Uh, at the moment, Will is Will is you know leading the chase there. So you know if you want to want to compete with him, yeah. feel free to do so. Uh, Will says, "Is there a way for Arsenal to combat City's ability to have longevity while other teams end up falling off the wagon? Uh, if anyone could do it, it's Pep's adopted son Arteta. But what's the key to unlocking that finishing product to close the deal? What do you reckon, Joel? What is the key to hanging on to City's coattails throughout the season for Arsenal or for anyone? You know, as a Liverpool fan, you would uh, probably have a better insight into that than the most. I would say." <laughs> It's it's been exhausting going toe to toe with this city team because Liverpool have put a posted points totals that have sort of um, almost record breaking that, that win leagues in I don't know ninety five percent of seasons almost. in the Premier League. <laughs> you, only you, almost. you go only <laughs> almost. You get what you get in ninety seven points in uh, in. You know the years blend into one now, and then you do you do what you did last season, where you get ninety plus points. You should expect to win the league, but you can't do it because the City team are relentless. And it's the, the thing is, um, you know, with that, you 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 start your season in August, and then every game feels like it's April. 
Like you, you lose all joy <laughs> your second game of the season, and your season's almost over. And that's what it's felt like every season for the last couple of seasons. And maybe that's why Liverpool have fallen off the wagon a little bit this year because one bad result feels like the season collapses in August, and you've got to try and get yourself to go up again. But bringing it back to, <clears throat> excuse me, to Will's question about Arsenal, Arsenal are doing as much as they can do right now. And I do want, I, I do have my suspicions about whether that's going to last long-term this, this, this season. I think when long-term in terms of you know next two or three seasons, Arsenal being built to be a title challenger. And I think Mikel Arteta has done a really good job so far. And as Matt alluded to there about the culture thing, Arteta's definitely built a culture. You saw that with the Abemiang thing. But I think in terms of, being able to challenge City, you need to be ready to go from from day one, and you can't allow slip ups. You can't. You have to go to the place like Old Trafford and and, and go to Spurs, Stamford Bridge, and almost if you end up drawing, which you probably will do, um, that's the most likely result to happen when the, the top six teams play. A draw has to feel like a bad result. You have to feel gutted about that. I think, you know. Arteta will, will probably know this, like because like Will said, there he's he's worked at Guardiola. He knows what he knows more about Man City than most of us, and most of players, and most of managers outside of, of the club. That he will know that Man City are built to win every game, and uh, if you need to go toe to toe with them, you have to be built to win every game, um, and you have to know that you have to get ninety plus minimum, and then from there. That doesn't seem to be enough, but that's what's going to give you the best shot <laughs> yeah. is getting 90 points. You, you have to win 30 games. You have to be able to be built to win 30 games. And that almost means you need to have 16, 17 world-class players and not eight and five average who can come in. You know what I mean? It's it's it's, it's horrible. Mm. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, but it's also horrible yeah. at the same time. Um, and yeah, <laughs> City are just relentless, aren't they? Yeah. So with that in mind, Matt, do you think Arsenal are built to post 90-plus points this season? I think attacking-wise, yes. Defensively, maybe not so much. I know they have been very good defensively, but I think with a few injuries, they're maybe not as strong, uh, especially in the midfield as well. It's just, like Joe said, it's just so difficult. Um, And I think the task set by Manchester City is a, a very unforgiving one. So... My head would say no. My head would say no. Yeah. It's 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 going to be too difficult to catch City when they get on a roll. And like Joel said, you know, if you have back to back games against the top six, and I don't know, you pick up four points out of six, or you pick up three points out of six, you might say that's not so bad. Should be all right. But in dropping those other three points or two points, yeah, it, it can be quite difficult because City have the capability to go on such long runs. We saw it um, with Liverpool in both of the close title races. Didn't they both win like the last 12 or 14 games or something? Something like that or thereabouts. Like, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? That Yeah, they're going on such extraordinary long runs that it's not even a case of, oh, there's the odd slip up here and there. It's like, Mm-mm, no, yeah. zero slips. Yeah. Yeah, in a way, I don't like feeling like City are going to win the league in October. It's, you know, pride comes before a fall. I don't like feeling cocky, but Mm. I just can't really see logically how they don't unless something sort of catastrophic happens to City, like Haaland gets an ACL injury or something like that, the way that they're playing, even though they're not... We can wish, can't we? Seems unlikely that they won't win the league. We can hope, yeah. (laughs) We live in hope, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the only thing on that, Dan, that might, that might stir up a little bit is, is the World Cup break, which you've asked a couple of times on, on podcasts, what's that going to do to the league? And I don't think we have the answer to that yet. I mean, for me, mm. there's part of me that is like, if Liverpool can get within nine points by a World Cup break, <laughs> and then we have to, you, have, you have to break it's it. On. And like next season, the, the, <laughs> it's maybe, you, you give yourself a little bit of hope because... I don't think any of us know what that's going to look like when everyone comes back in December, at the end of December. It's almost like a new season because you do have a pre-season break in a way for, mm-hmm. for the teams who don't have a lot of players going. It is a kind of break and then you've got players come back in the World Cup who might be knackered and exhausted. And I think that is a bit of a leveller. I think it's going to be a, like, in terms of Man City, a lot of their players are going and probably will be playing up until at least the first knockout round of the World Cup. And you don't know what, what effect that's going to have on the players. And it's just, it's so 
I I don't think anyone knows what is going to happen come December. I, I I think it's going to be two completely different seasons. I'm not really talking from a global point of view now because I think we're too far gone to get back into the title race really. But in terms of Arsenal, my Arsenal look amazing now, but then they might get a few injuries by the World Cup and, and then suddenly they might tail mm. off and, and get onto top four. It might be their only hope and Spurs might end up clicking after the World Cup we, we don't know it's two completely different seasons and it's going to be really long mm. and we're all going to be knackered by the end of it <laughs> maybe there should be two trophies one before the World Cup and one afterwards like two champions that would be a, a novel <laughs> thought yeah. wouldn't it yeah <laughs> and City win them both that would be great as well yeah but uh, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, another question here from Jude A hey Jude that's a little Beatles joke for you there. Uh, <laughs> what, what is the most annoying commentary expression you constantly hear? Mine is just about when they clearly mean just. If I did just, if I just about did enough, it means I didn't do enough, not I only just did it. When commentators say he just about saved it, it drives me crazy because they mean to say he just saved it. <laughs> I have to say, Jude, I think I, I think you're splitting hairs a little bit there. I think that yeah, the, I think yeah, that too. Like if you had like you know if if a if a bag of sweets was two pounds and you had two pounds, one P, you would say, oh, I've just about got enough money to buy these sweets, wouldn't you? be quite an expensive bag of sweets, but that's uh, <laughs> that's modern Britain for you, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't be getting wound up too much about that. But uh, yeah, what, what are the most annoying com- commentary expressions you hear? There's one on the new FIFA, actually, where um, Alex Scott says, uh, no game is ever easy. And I thought, don't know about that, Alex. Some games are sometimes easy. It's a bit, a bit of a sweeping statement, isn't it? Like any that you guys would add to that? Yeah, that's a bit too. That's a bit too broad. Uh, whenever someone says my co-commentator is Michael Owen, <laughs> <laughs> that really that Same really Steve Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe ex-local <laughs> players should not be funded to commentators. <laughs> Maybe that's the issue. Yeah. I can't actually think about anything that annoys me that much oh i would say though i do watch the majority of my football in german so if they say something that's annoying i don't always understand <laughs> yeah it, so. yeah me too these days yeah no, no bother yeah i mean I, I do hate it when people say in and around that's something that's really like getting worse and worse all the time isn't it it's really sort of bled into to life people say that outside of football now <laughs> in and around like what does it even mean uh, I, I actually quite like it when people when they say if anything he's hit it too well i actually quite like that as a phrase I find. and I understand what it means I think you can hit a ball too well sometimes so uh, yeah people complain about that one, but I, quite I think like these it. are so they're, they're so like they're so niche that I think if you pull one out every so often it's like oh yeah that's that makes sense I kind of enjoy that one I can't I can't think off the top of my head anything that would annoy me sort of that much mm. uh I, I guess I hate so, when um, yeah when they go you have to fear for X or Y here, like you know, when a, when a club's on a bad run or you know they've gone two 0 down mm-hmm. the first ten minutes, and you go, you you have to fear for Everton here. It's I I, I hate every other football club outside of my own team, so I have no fear for any other team. <laughs> so uh, if anything, bring on the fear. So no, don't tell me how yeah, to feel. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah. <sighs> what is football without fear? People yeah. just want to see blood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Either that or th- th- or this could be a cricket score. Like, no, it, that's just silly. <laughs> cricket score completely different than football. <laughs> nonsense. Absolute nonsense. And Manchester City are 100 for six today. What? Exactly. That wouldn't even make sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's have a quick look ahead to uh, to some pretty fearsome games that are coming up this weekend. We've got El Clasico on Sunday, uh, first of all, which is, uh, if you don't know, Real Madrid versus Barcelona. I think you probably do know that by now, but just in case you didn't. Uh, who are the favourites going into this one for you, Joel, do you think? Uh, Barcelona just ahead of Real Madrid at the top of the league at the moment. Neither of them in particularly blistering form, though. Um, I think Real Madrid still, you know, we don't know what an effect uh, the inter game is going to have on Barcelona, whether that's going to destroy their confidence or going to make them more motivated to, to go out there and put it right. But I think, like I was sort of saying earlier, Real Madrid, every time I watch them this season, you know, okay, the last couple of games they have looked a bit leggy and a bit sort of, you know, just trying to get the results over the line. But oh, before then, they've been playing some of the best football I've seen them play in years. And the, the likes of uh, Valverde has been on form and Vinicius and Rodrigo have been linking up really well. And they had, you know, four or five games without Karim Benzema due to injury and he's sort of flourished without him. And I, I think that just proves the strength of the squad. But I just think when when they don't play well, um, 
date you know when their players don't have eight out of ten games they know how to make sure they have a 6.5 out of 10 game and just get over the line and they have the nouse just to make sure they get the win over the line I think that could happen on uh, when they when they play Barcelona on Sunday I think Barcelona have to have more of their players outshining the Real Madrid players and their players have to be on top of their form whereas Real Madrid can go there be average exist survive in the game for 60 minutes and you know, Modric can play one good ball into Benzema's chest and Benzema can score the goal with one chance of winning the game. And I think in, in big games like this, where it's usually decided by the tightest margins, Real Madrid at this moment look more grown up and more professional to get the winner of the line. Whereas Barcelona have to sort of, if Barcelona don't come out and flourish and go 2-0 up in the first 15 minutes, I, I don't think they have another way of winning this type of game just yet. Uh, they'll they'll probably learn how to do that eventually because they have one tight games this year. When it comes to playing the big teams, the big professional teams and the, the world-class teams, I don't think they know how to get over the line just yet. And I could be proven wrong on Sunday. But right now, Real Madrid look just a bit more, more growing up than Barca. Yeah, some talk today that uh, Thibaut Courtois has missed trading. He might be out for Real Madrid. Uh, PK is really starting to look his age for Barcelona. There's also some talk that they could be trying to rush Jules Kunde back from injury for this game. How key do you think the participation of those two players in particular could be, Matt? Uh, definitely uh, in in the case of Jules Kunde, for sure. I think PK, I have no idea what was going through his mind uh, against Inter Milan. And certainly they're going to need to be a bit more... It sounds a bit obvious. It sounds a bit too FIFA when you put plot speed against, you know, a little bit of an older player. But that back three last night, the start of Garcia, PK, and Alonso, we get torn to shreds by the likes <laughs> of Vinicius Junior, Rodrigo, uh, and the like at Real Madrid. So, yeah, I think that's absolutely massive for Real Madrid. Thibaut Courtois is obviously an unbelievably good footballer um, and, and would be a massive miss. I think he certainly lost you in the Champions League. He was brilliant and he has that that big impact on the defence, especially having lost around and Ramos in the last couple of years. Um, but Rudiger steps in absolutely fine. Not quite sure how his eye is going to be feeling oh, yeah. um, after the other day. But I, I don't think he's ruled out the Classico just yet. That's mad, isn't it? No. Well, they might be able to play with a mask, what I've isn't been reading, they? Yeah. yeah. Which he's pretty used to by now. Yeah, so I, I think... <laughs> Yeah, he, he could be involved. So it'll be interesting. I actually agree with Joel when it comes to the preview. I think Real Madrid have that know-how, have that that kind of maturity. But with Robert Lewandowski, you know, like we saw last night, could literally can turn one ball into the box into a goal. Could, it could, has got that effect of almost dragging his team. And they'll probably take a bit of um, a bit of heart from the performance we saw at the Bernabeu early in the year, the 4-0 victory, which really came out of nowhere. Real Madrid were charging towards the title. Barcelona returned the form around and were looking quite good. And then suddenly just went there and put mm. four past them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm sure Xavi will point to that as a bit of um, a bit of inspiration. My gut instinct would go with a low-scoring game, though, a 1-0 yeah. to Real Madrid or, or a one all. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking similar, yeah. And we've also on Sunday got Liverpool v Man City, which was apparently the biggest game in English football about three months ago and is not really getting the same amount of fanfare at the moment. I blame Liverpool's form for that. I don't. Th- I think City have upheld their side of the bargain and, <laughs> and Liverpool have really let the side down there. But, you know, maybe maybe, uh, maybe they'll get back on track this weekend. You must be feeling a bit more confident after the uh, the Rangers game, Joel? No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I'm more happier. <laughs> I mean, life looks a little bit more pretty this this morning. But um, in terms of going up against City, I mean, I just don't. I, I even when we have our, our most, you know, our best players available, it's hard to overcome City. And I'd be a bit more confident, obviously, if we had, you know, we didn't have like eight, nine players I was injured. But I think right now. The back four is going to be as makeshift as it possibly can be. You know, Joe Gomez is a very good centre half and an able right back, but uh, you know, him being there and Ibrahim Kanati being centre half when Kanati's been out in Utah most of the season is going to make that side look appetising to Ireland Harland. And then even like Andy Robson comes on last night, but um, and, you know, it's going to be a big ask from 90 minutes from, from the off uh, at left back. So, and Costa Simicast has looked very, very shaky for the, in the recent weeks. So it's just, it's all, I just don't know. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm not confident. Usually when when City come to Anfield, I, I almost 
expect us to win because of our record against City but the, at Anfield. But the last two seasons, obviously, they, they go and win there for the first time in gone since and Nicholas and Elka's time um, in the COVID mm. season. And then last season was one of the best games um, probably ever seen in the Premier League. The, the two two, the, both teams are incredible. Uh, so City have overcome that sort of Anfield hoodoo, um, uh, which which is very concerning for us. And I, I just think. City can just kill this game off in the first half. To be honest with you, I just don't think we, we're good enough and have the confidence in the team enough to be able to go toe to toe with City, exist in the game, and go and win it later. And I just don't think we have it. Hopefully, <laughs> I want to be surprised, but uh, I see nothing but City <laughs> tearing open our defence and win two or three. To be honest. Well, I was saying I don't like feeling too confident about City's title chances at this stage of the season. I don't like feeling as confident as I am going into a game at Anfield as I do right now. But it's just like. Again, logically, yeah. you look at the form of the two teams, you look at who's out for Liverpool, it just seems very much like City must be considered pretty heavy favourites here. But uh, yeah, like you say, the Anfield Maybe fight. I was lying to you there, Dan. Shook, shook off the amp. I'm, I'm just playing 4D well, chess and just trying to get into your head and uh, trying to make you too confident. Well, you've, you've, it's worked. It's worked, yeah. But I'm, I'm not convinced <laughs> the Anfield hoodoo is a thing of the past for City, really, because... Uh, like last season, we probably should have beaten you, and like you know, didn't take our chance in the first half. Like, and that 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 tends to happen with City in these games as well. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be an interesting game. Are Liverpool out of the title race already for you, Matt? And if they lose this game, are they definitely out of it? Uh, yeah, they'll be sixteen points behind if they lose to uh, if they lose to Manchester City and. Like we mentioned before, City's capability of going on long winning runs and the fact that they're built to win 30 or more games a season. Um, yeah, 16 points is ridiculous. Like they yeah. failed in a couple of seasons to even to, to overtake City when they were one point behind. So <laughs> never mind 16. Yeah. That's a bit. That's a bit too much of a big ask. I think I don't want to downplay Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp or anything, but that the top four has to be the priority now. Like... Especially if they lose, that's not not focus on City too much, but on uh, yeah, on chasing the top. Staying in the league, yeah. not a priority at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now, come on, let's not, let's not get too silly. <laughs> <laughs> well uh, there, there endeth a, uh, a much longer podcast than anticipated thanks to Matt and Joel for joining me thanks to everyone for listening uh, Matt and I will be back on Tuesday again this week because uh, we're both preoccupied on Monday uh, we do have the Ballon d'Or on Monday nights so we'll be uh, we'll be reflecting on the, the winner of that on Tuesday among other things among the weekend's action uh, have a nice weekend everybody and we'll catch you next time Bye.